All right, we are back here at the J. Tom Lawler rink between periods, UConn and Merrimack, and the UConn Huskies lead Merrimack one to nothing. Joe Batina joins us, the commissioner of Hockey East in the house here tonight, and Joe, it seems like wherever you go, it's a, it's a goaltender's battle, which makes sense, uh, and, and a good one here tonight. Yeah, and I was just commenting that most of the times, like, I get up here maybe three times, four times a year, and uh, they're all like this. They're two to one, two to two games, they're big goalies, hard to, actually it's hard to get through the first line, let alone get to the goalie, the way they, and, and I mentioned that to Dick DiCaprio is here observing the game, a local hockey guy. Uh, he says, well, especially when you're shooting on Merrimack, as Mark said, these guys blocking shots, throwing their bodies in front of so, uh, But it's a pretty even game, I think. I'm sure uh, coaches are never happy, but from the, for the new guys on the other side, it's, it, they've got to be encouraged. Uh, their AD, Ward Manuel's here, and uh, they brought quite a few people with them. Well, talking about UConn, of course, joining the league the first game tonight and their first home game being a couple weeks as well. Uh, when when uh, when the decision was made to admit UConn to the league a couple of years ago and the things that, that uh, you know, the commitments that they made, uh, uh, how are you feeling about that and the commitment that they made and, and what they needed to do to be a full-fledged member of the league in men's hockey? Because, of course, they have been for a long time in women's hockey. Sure. I mean, we have a document that was prepared a number of years ago we call our standards document, and it, it actually affected uh schools, part of the changes you saw here were really mandated uh, the chairback seats and some of the things. Uh, but it's also a standard for new schools looking to get in to know what they have to do. And so the, the two big one, I guess, big ones would be UConn had not given out athletic scholarships. So part of the timing of when they came in was to allow them to spread the 18 scholarships out over three years. So they gave six two years ago. They gave their second six last year. And then this is the first year they're giving the full 18. The other one is the facility issue. And uh, when they first uh, made their proposal, they submitted drawings to renovate uh, Freitas Arena where they have been playing their game, which is an attractive rink. It's really a Division three type rink in the sense it's aluminum benches. Very bright, great lobby, but not... You know, not the, what we need. You know, 4,000 seats, certain percentage of chair back, and lockers and all that. So, well, it's early. They've had, uh, they were given a number of years before that would have to, to start to be built. Um, I think they're probably going away from renovating that and going now towards building a brand new facility from scratch. If you've been down there, um, stores, unlike a lot of the other college towns, don't really have a downtown stores, but they've created an area just past the campus. I know Gino Orient has got a restaurant there, and they're trying to create like a downtown. And my understanding is there's some land near there where they're thinking about putting the link. So, you know, it's early to, to see if all the other things but are being done. But from my experience with them, because their women have been in our league for a number of years, uh, when they want to do something, they do it right. You see what they've done with football, how long that came, how fast that came along. Everybody knows about their basketball success. There always seems to be some construction going on down there. Um, one of the things we were joking about is the, one of the big boosters of all this has been the governor, Dan Malloy, who's up for re-election, and he's in a really tight um, battle. And I, and I think the election is the day before they play BC in their first home game. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes and what the mood is when we show up in uh, Hartford on November 5th. Uh, you indicated recently, I believe, you you had always said uh, to us and to others for a long time you thought 12 was the magic number, and, and that seemed to be the case. I mean, the ECAC had 12 for many years and was very successful and worked well and, and trying to get there. Now you are there in Hockey East, but that may not be it for expansion, right? Well, you know, I made a comment to one or two people at Media Day that all of a sudden I think got a little life to it, but it, it, it was really had to put a lot of thought ahead of time. But I know that our our, our official position as a league is if, if there's a school that brings value, 
that was the case when we were at 9 or we were at 10. Um, it wasn't a matter of getting to a number. And so it was pretty convenient to think, well, nobody's gone before 12. I guess, you know, that, that would be the, the end. But if, as I think about it, and it really was uh, kind of extemporaneous at, at media day, that if there are other schools out there that, that bring value, we still, I think, have a mix in our league uh, in the sense that some schools are comfortable with 12 non-league games and some less so. And if you, I think if you kind of qualitatively try to rank the non-league schedules, you can see that some get uh, probably more attractive schedules than others. And, and uh, when I say attractive, it could be who you play, but more importantly, where those games are played. And it's tough for everybody to get home games, home non-league games. And, and 12, you know, it's better than the 14 last year, but it's still a high number. You know, having said that, I didn't want to set off alarms that we're, you know, that we're talking to school X or school Y. <clears throat> but I also think, you know, part and parcel of this is, I think there's going to be another uh, uh, shakeup. And I've said this all along, and I've always been reluctant to answer the question, hey, is the Big Ten getting into college hockey been a good thing? Because I, I don't think we'll be able to answer that until it all settles. And by that I mean if there is another shakeup and some schools drop the sport because they don't like the new configuration or they're running out of places to play, that's why we're going to wait to see. And there are, there are rumors of some schools talking about recreating a mid-America-type conference like the CCHA, a bus league. Um, if you look at some of the schools that made... I think rash decisions or made decisions under pressure where they wanted to play. There are some kind of obvious places you look and say, why is this school in this league playing these teams? So um, it'll, it'll take a little time, but my guess is after uh, one or two more seasons, you're going to see some people re-evaluating where they should be with their program. Not to mention, we still don't know what the effect of this change in the NCAA with the Big Five conferences voting to pay athletes and, and, and there's a sense that some of those changes are going to lead to more resources being steered to basketball and football. What will that mean for, for other sports? So it's kind of a stay tuned situation, I think, on, on whether this landscape of college hockey is going to change again and how soon. Yeah, you got into another topic I wanted to ask you about. And, uh, I mean, do you see that affecting hockey? I mean, you've got some schools, the Big Ten schools, some of the other you know, big-name schools in, in other college hockey conferences uh, uh, you know, that I guess would be able, is it right, you know, it would be able to, to pay players in effect. Do you, do you see that happening? Well, my understanding is if they go that route, even though it's, it's something pushed and, and approved by those five conferences, once they approve it, it becomes legislation that anybody can pursue. And so, you know, right off the bat, you've got eight schools playing hockey in those situations, the six Big Ten schools and BC and Notre Dame in our league because of their ACC connection. So, you know college hockey coaches like I do, but they're not going to want those eight schools to be able to uh, fund an extra three to five thousand dollars a kid for that. You know, when we say pay the athletes, it sounds bad. What they're talking about is making up the gap of the full cost of attendance. So right now, there's scholarship, tuition, room, board, books, and as you know, there's other expenses to, to live in, in college. And I think they're capping it at five thousand students. But that's you know, there's a Title Nine, everything else. Once you get on that road, you're giving that five thousand to. How many different athletes and how many different sports? That's why people are wondering whether this is going to lead to some sports being dropped. 
and you know if, if the schools in our league start BC and Notre Dame for example start getting that there's no guarantee they're going to but if they were to start getting their hockey players next to money and that's a recruiting benefit uh, you don't think the other 10 schools are going to sit around you know, it's, it's a lot of money for some schools more than others and that's just the start I mean, I've heard rumors of uh, a, a Big Ten wanting to create a director of player personnel position for hockey you know we do have hockey ops people now and, and, and I think that's why we, we have to watch I, I'm going to convene a meeting on November uh, 5th actually it's the, the day that uh, BC is at UConn for the first game of some athletic directors here in the East three athletic directors from BC AC, Atlantic, and Hockey East, along with commissioners, just to uh, have a conversation about what's going on nationally. Because as a single sport commissioner, I don't always sit at the table and hear things like some of the athletic directors do from their involvement with multi-sport conferences. So we've got a, a select group of people from uh, each of the three leagues just to sit around a table and be out in Springfield for a couple hours and uh, at least start a conversation of what we're hearing and where this might go and, and just try to be prepared for what hockey might uh, anticipate. Uh, what's your take on the, the difference of opinion with regard to the verbal commitments? You know, some schools saying that now they're going to recruit just to the letter of intent, and others saying they're going to continue to honor the verbals. I mean, does this widen the rift between some of these schools? I mean, and, and also, how much tension do you see there? You know, I I've always admired Don Lucia uh, at Minnesota, who, who would stand up in front of his peers and say, "Hey, look at," him. and he's got a good reputation, so I think he can say this. He says, "I reserve the right to talk to any kid at least once." So just because there's a gentleman agreement that says this 14-year-old committed, I'm not doing my employer uh, justice if I don't at least talk to the kid. Now, if the kid tells me, yes, I committed to school X, fine, I won't talk to him. But I reserve the right to talk to anybody at least one time. And I agree with him. You know, I think it's crazy. And, and, and part of the problem is not the school, though I'm sure there are some that, you know, new coach comes in and doesn't honor the commitment you know, as opposed to it being an institutional commitment, as I think it should be. But the parents are the ones that are shopping the kids around and all of a sudden... Some friend of a friend says, you know, I know you committed to that school, but I hear this school, you want to go to that one. Oh, really? I mean, it's a mess. It's a mess. But, you know, I've also seen some 8th graders, but Noah Hannafin was on the 8th grade in St. Sebastian's, and somebody said he committed to BC. And I said, that's ridiculous. And I watched him play. I said, oh, I, I get it. You know, now I see what you mean. So, you know, the, the families are saying, look, we want to get this out of the way. If we're ready to commit, and uh, it probably works out well in a lot of situations. But there are those that, you know, there's some charge of tampering, and, and uh, I don't get to go to those meetings in, in Florida like I used to because the coaches close the door, and I guess they go at it pretty good. But I thought Donnie's point was, you know, I, I don't like gentlemen's agreements in general. They're not enforceable. They have them with tape exchange. They have them different things. And I always get called because of my different titles. I say, I'm sorry, you guys agreed to this. You police yourselves. But I think they, they, they should have the right to, to, to talk to some uh, kid at least once. And then, you know, they understand. They're not all, they, they honor that. Um, but he's, he, he's considered a bold guy for making that statement, and it makes common sense to me. All right, Joe. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, good topics. Very interesting. We appreciate your time and yeah, uh, continued success on the season. We'll talk to you again soon. I Hopefully hope. I get to do this one more time. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. That's Joe Bertani. He's the commissioner of Hockey East. The score here, UConn 1, Merrimack nothing. John and I are back right after this. This is Warrior Hockey.